Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining the Michigan Minds Podcast. Can you please introduce yourself, share your name, your title, and your affiliations at U of M? So I'm Jörg Lahan. I'm a professor in engineering, specifically in chemical engineering, biomedical engineering, and material science engineering. I also direct the Biointerface Institute at University of Michigan. And uh, my research is focused on nanoparticle delivery systems for important clinical questions such as glioblastoma, brain tumors. So my name is uh, Dr. Maria Castro. I'm a professor of neurosurgery and professor of cell and developmental biology. I'm also uh, one of the inaugural Rogal Cancer Center scholars. And my affiliation is particularly with the University of Michigan Medical School. So my name is Jason Gregory. I'm a uh, senior graduate student in uh, Dr. Khan's lab. I'm in the chemical engineering department here at the University of Michigan. Thank you. And you recently conducted research on a new synthetic protein nanoparticle that helped fight off brain cancer in mice. Can you talk about this study and how it was an interdisciplinary process? It really goes back to almost like a worst scenario because there were actually two professors involved in that initial idea. That was Maria Castro and myself. And we were um, talking for the first time as a part of a um, workshop, we call it the challenge, that was organized by the Biointerface Institute um, at the interface between uh, engineering and cancer. And while we are talking to each other, we realized that basically we have very complementary expertises. She has some amazing models and deep understanding of brain tumors. And we had some kind of little bit wacky nanoparticles that turned out to be actually quite helpful with respect to some of the delivery questions that she tried to address. And so we, we, we basically wrote a little proposal together with, with other researchers, got funded. And so we had the initial start. And so then Jason timed in and did actually turn our ideas into reality. You know, it couldn't have been possible without the convergence of Dr. Lahan's team and our team together with Dr. Lowenstein. So we brought in the brain cancer biology and developmental therapeutics expertise. And the Lahan team brought about the nanoparticle delivery and you know, formulation expertise. So without the two, it wouldn't have been possible. So what I would like to highlight is that the strength is in the team, of course. So uh, we were approached basically with a kind of a challenge to you know, systemically deliver uh, therapeutics uh, to the brain, uh, which because of the blood-brain barrier tends to be a um, significant challenge within, within the medical field. Um, and we had some, some previous work on uh, developing protein nanoparticles. And then together with Hadma, she and I worked together over a number of years to kind of, you know, develop these protein nanoparticles, to validate them both in vitro and in vivo, uh, incorporate those into some of our areas outstanding glioblastoma brain cancer models. Um, and then eventually we saw um, some really spectacular results there. Can you share what some of those results are and what they suggest? What we saw was, um, so we were delivering a, a short interfering sRNA um, aimed at STAT3 of protein. 
her lab had identified that as a crucial pathway in glioblastoma. Our aim was then to deliver this sRNA, uh, knock down that protein expression, and increase survival for the mice. What we found is with our uh, protein nanoparticles incorporating a targeting moiety, uh, we were able to bypass the blood-brain barrier, release the sRNA, and as far as the results, uh, part of our main results as far as survival goes, um, when we coupled this with focused radiation, which is the current um, state-of-the-art treatment uh, for glioblastoma, uh, we had eight mice in that group uh, for the combined treatment. Of those eight mice, seven of them reached long-term survival, which is deemed as 90 days post-implantation. And then more incredibly, actually, of the mice that survived, we implanted a second tumor in the contralateral hemisphere of the brain. And then without any additional treatments, we saw 100% survival in those animals as well, indicating that there may be an immune response to the, the treatments. Just to highlight the, the problem at hand, nature has evolved in preventing anything to get through the blood-brain barrier. And so, so the, the idea that you could take something as big as a nanoparticle, nanoparticles are very small, but in the context of what can get through the blood-brain barrier, they're actually quite big. And that you could imagine something like this being systemically delivered and then going into the brain tumor compartment. That, that's very, very hard to imagine. Actually, it was Maria's idea to just try that. And I thought, well, probably not. But in the end, it turned out to be actually quite promising. There were some tweaks, uh, some tweaks we did. So we had actually help from Oki Rushlati from Burnham Institute. The, he helped us a little bit with some of the modalities that we used, but that was, uh, so it's, it's a bigger study, obviously, that has uh, multiple contributors, but overall it was very, very satisfying to see that this actually works. And just to put it in context, typically what the therapeutic approach would be, you have to go through the skull into the brain tumors and then basically uh, maybe in conjunction with surgery, you basically directly at, uh, access the brain tumor compartment and then put the remedies in there. And so being able to go through a simple injection is actually a big, big, big difference. Now, these are mice. These are not humans, obviously. The difference between mice and humans, as we all know. But nevertheless, I think it's, it's really unprecedented. And we're very excited about that. But I'm sure Maria has more to say about it as well. Up until now... Whenever you want to deliver something into the tumor, as Jörg explained, you have to do major surgery, open the skull, and sometimes they put a reservoir in which they put the drugs and the patient. It's really, really cumbersome. You know, patients can be prone to infections. It's, it's really very difficult to do it. So the fact that with a simple systemic injection, you can deliver your therapies and they will reach the tumor safely, it's really a huge advancement in developing novel therapeutics for brain cancer that, as you know, especially in children now, it became the number one cause of death. So this approach could also be applied to children with a malignant brain cancer. And in adults, there has been little improvement over the last 30 years in median survival. So it's a huge need for this particular cancer. So what was your reaction to these findings? And looking forward now, what are the next steps? The therapeutic target, I knew it was really, really good because there's been, there was a lot of work in the field that said, you know, that demonstrated that that particular transcription factor was like a hub, like, you know, like the 
metro where there's a station that connects to all other stations. If you block that, that station, the metro will be rendered useless. That's the same thing with a transcription factor that we chose for gliomas, right? It's a hub that on which many other pathways converge and those pathways are required for glioma cell survival, right? So we knew that if we block that hub, the glioma cells had no chance and they were gonna die. The issue is that all the compounds that were available to block that hub were small molecules that couldn't reach the brain, right? So when we started talking with uh, Jörg and he said, well, maybe nanoparticles and we can knock it down using a, other molecules that are more related with the genetic aspect of how this hub will work, we said it's worth giving it a shot because the hub was very, very important. And we knew that if we got it, it was gonna work. Now we didn't know it was how it would work. So when we did the first experiment, it was almost like unbelievable. It was so good. So, you know, yeah, it was one of those aha moments that in research, you don't get them too often, right? Usually, yeah, it worked. and But this time it was really huge because there's a lot of people in the field that have been working on this target and no one could really target it before in the brain. So it was a very important and exciting moment. So I think from our side, um, we really hadn't seen these particles perform in, in vivo. Um, in, in an animal model. Um, so I don't think we necessarily knew it would be as successful as, as it turned out to be, as Maria uh, suggested. Um, you know, so, you know, the first experiment we did was basically just delivering particles and, and tracking to see whether they reached the brain at all. Um, and I think that was the result that really kind of spurred the enthusiasm for the project in that, you know, we, we saw um, you know, systemically injected particles reaching the brain, and we were able then to kind of move forward with the actual therapeutic portion of the of the study. So sometimes there's this moment, and I think Maria has captured it already. Suddenly, you're jumping from zero to 100, right? And you're very excited about the outcomes and what this, this did to this, this, this mice that have brain tumors in their head, they just disappeared. It's really amazing. But then while you're jumping from zero to 100, you don't really understand every step that happens between. So one of the things we have to do now is to go back and really understand the individual steps and why these particles are actually doing so well in getting into the brain tumor compartment. So there's some work we have to do now to figure that out because once we understand that in all detail, then we are in the position where we can engineer the next version of those particles in, in a more intelligent way. So I think going back and understanding some of the details about what that targeting what leads to that targeting and what are exactly the pathways that are involved, I think is important. Now, the other thing is, it's great to hit a specific hub. And this is, this is really the, the railway station, the center of the whole uh, subway system, so to speak. So I think that's great. But you know, those tumors are very sneaky. So they have many ways to get out of this. And so even sometimes you hit the main station, they might still get out. So, so there might be needs of hitting those tumors with multiple remedies at the same time. And so Maria and my lab and, uh, and Pedro and others are now working on uh, strategies that not only hit the cancer with one way, but with multiple ways to make sure that there's now uh, escape uh, possibility. And so that, that there's ultimately really remedy. And I think once we go 
away from mice or we go into more complex mouse models, then I think we'll, some of those, those new strategies will really pay off. And I think we'll see even better results with those. And what led you to target glioblastoma? Glioblastoma is a cancer that arises in the brain. And as we were talking earlier, there hasn't been any, any improvements in median survival of the, over the last 30 years, very marginal, right? So if a patient comes with a diagnosis of a high-grade glioma or glioblastoma, the median survival is approximately two years. And that has remained almost unchanged over the past 20 to 30 years. So one, there is a big need. Second, I think there's a niche for academic institutions because the number of patients is not huge, like for breast or prostate, where you have hundreds of thousands or lung, hundreds of thousands of patients every year. For brain cancer, you have approximately 25,000 to 30,000 patients every year. So it's a smaller niche. So essentially, you know, big pharma or biotech companies are not very interested in targeting this disease. So essentially, it's a it's a really wonderful opportunity for academic institutions to develop novel treatments. And also the FDA is very keen on implementing the clinical trials for this disease because there's a huge need. So twofold, one, it's an ideal disease to tackle in an academic setting. And also because of the fact that in an academic setting, it's much easier to branch out and collaborate with people from a lot of different, uh, with lots of different expertise and different experimental approaches. That's number one. And number two, the FDA is very keen. So if you have something that looks good, they're really, really excited and they will help you for you to translate it into the clinic. It's different, you know, if you have a Parkinson's patient that you know you have the life expectancy is 30 years, right? If you have a patient that the life expectancy is two years, you know, <laughs> How can I put it? The need and the desire is much greater, right? So I think that's for me what inspired me. And also I, I am a neuroscientist, so it was the perfect storm <laughs> in a way. So maybe I add, and, and I think Maria said it already, so I really just second that. So brain cancer is a really in a field where the last 30 years, there's not much progress at all. And the reason is it's an incredibly difficult problem to have. And so the conventional paradigms that the pharmaceutical industry uses to develop essentially cancer therapies obviously don't work for, for, for brain tumors sure. uh, in the way they work for other cancers. And so it requires new approaches. It requires interdisciplinary research, the kind of teams that are coming together here to work together. And so I think that's something that attracted me to that problem because obviously there is an opportunity to look at this from a different perspective with a new team and then have impact. And hopefully as we go along with this and with Maria's and Petro's expertise, we're able then to also make it ultimately make and have impact on, on patients' health and, and life maybe even and well-being down the line. In addition to being a very you know, rigorous scientific collaboration, it's been a lot of fun to interact with the Lachan team. So I'm very proud of what we have accomplished together. And this project is currently in the STAT Madness Tournament, in which 64 discoveries from schools and colleges across the country compete for the best innovative research of the year. Can you share a little bit about the tournament and what it's been like to have your project in the running? 
I was really surprised. And I asked myself, now, who did this? I asked you, did you put it in? Did you submit it? No, he didn't. I didn't either. So it was a great surprise and a great honor to find our work showcased and portrayed in the Stat Madness for Science. I had only heard about the Stat Madness for basketball, I think, although I'm not very attuned with sports. So it was a really great excitement. And I think, you know, it has impact from several aspects. One, it helps showcase the research in our labs. That would be the smaller aspect. Then it helps showcase the research in the Rogel Cancer Center and the Department of Chemical Engineering and you know other departments with whom we collaborate. Finally, it also showcases the research at the University of Michigan. And I think most importantly, it helps to raise the awareness of brain cancer research and therapeutics essentially worldwide, right? It's a disease for which there's a huge need and thus it will maybe impact students to come into the research. It will impact philanthropists to donate to research. So it really raises the impact of brain cancer. So I think from a number of avenues, it really is a very significant uh, achievement that our work is showcased in Stat Madness. I was also very surprised, obviously, but then I looked through it and it's amazing what what amazing schools there are and amazing projects and just reading about all those projects while I went through that, uh, I was very impressed with like just the, the amazing work that's going on throughout the country. And, and so, so I think it's very, I'm very honored to be a part of this uh, and that our project was selected with all of these other amazing projects that, that, that are highlighted there. It is extremely honoring and humbling. I mean, to be, when you look at the, the type of research projects that are included within the, the 64. So I know University of Michigan had at the onset five different projects or papers that were that were included. It is humbling to kind of know that like you're in there among them. Everyone can vote for this team, this project through the Stat Madness Tournament at statnews.com. It'll be included in the show notes and in the article accompanying this podcast. Thank you all for taking the time for this interview. It has been great, and I can't wait until we speak again. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.